I'm Diane Lee, and this is Never Forget What They Did. On March 12, 2020, the WHO declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. In July 2020, the Australian government actively prevented its citizens and permanent residents returning home from overseas or interstate. When we got back, they locked us up and made us pay. These are our stories because we must never forget what they did. Peter was in southwest China when the pandemic was declared on a regular business trip and visiting his wife's family. Already experiencing lockdowns in China from early 2020, even before the pandemic was declared, Peter heeded the early advice from the Morrison government to shelter in place. Arriving in China in January 2020 and booked to return to Australia in July 2020 and likening the pandemic to SARS, which was over in a few months, Peter didn't think it would take him, his wife and daughter 18 months to get home. Exiting China was a fraught exercise and the deteriorating relationship between China and Australia added to the complexity. And once he did get back, his family were forced into hotel quarantine, a nightmare because both he and his daughter suffered from anxiety. This is Peter's story. Uh, so I was in southwest China at the time. My wife's from China and she we were living in the city that her family's from. So I was with my wife, my daughter, who was two, th- uh, turning three at the time the d- uh, pandemic was declared. Um, and then we were obviously in a separate house, but obviously had her family in the same city. It was a business trip. So I was at the time, so before the pandemic, which is, it's all stopped now, but uh, we were doing business trips back and forth and we basically got stuck there. At the time, so in China, the lockdowns became, uh, began in uh, late January, early February 2020. So we had already endured lockdowns before before this the pandemic was declared and before Australia had you know had any cases. So it was for us, we were sort of uh, it was very nervous because and remembering at the time, and I think this is what a lot of people don't understand. This was illness or a virus that was killing people. So the numbers, the death numbers were really high at the time because it was coming out of Wuhan and no one knew what the virus was. So it was kind of very scary. So we, at the time, the, you know, by March, we had already endured lockdowns. And we thought we can't get out of the city because we're not going to be allowed out. And then by the time the, um, you know, the pandemic had been declared and Scott Morrison was getting close to, you know, well, actually, the first thing he said was, if you're safe to stay where you are, do so. And if you can get back, get back. And this, and I remember that really clearly because this basically dictated our decision. We thought, well, currently where we were was safe in China. It was probably one of the lowest hit areas at the time. Um, so we thought, well, let's stay here because we have to get out of China. We had to cra- travel through Guangzhou to get out of China. And Guangzhou was hit bad. So we were thought we could get this on the way. And I was thinking about my two, three-year-old daughter and thinking, you know, I don't want her to get this, you know, deadly disease. (laughs) 
so the, the thought process, I think, and that's what people have to understand is the thought process in hindsight, you think, well, now we know that the death rate is, um, is re- relatively low. But at the time, we didn't know that. It, this was a deadly disease we had no idea of. Peter found that communications coming out of the WHO at the time were unreliable. This was concerning given they were the supposed experts and governments were relying on them for information to direct their next moves. Even the information coming from WHO for us wasn't reliable. So what we had seen um, posted, so, and this is, uh, you know, slightly controversial, but the WHO posted that certain, I can't remember exactly because it's so long ago to, you know, three years ago now, um, but it was, it listed these things that could help, you know, um, if you got sick, have Panadol or whatever. What wasn't listed on there was Chinese medicine. Now, later on uh, in, in the Chinese version of, you know, the WHO's um, statements, Chinese medicine was listed there. So already we were thinking, well, you know, the WHO's obviously talked to China and they've agreed to put Chinese medicine on the on the list. So how much of the information that WHO was giving us is actually accurate and how much is, well, we better, you know, placate the governments and blah, blah, blah. So it was, you know, dealing with those kind of elements as well. What was your thinking around the Chinese medicine situation? What made you think that, oh, okay, this is maybe not as it should be? Well, uh, I mean, the main thing is in the last couple of years, the, the push for China to make Chinese medicine a national treasure kind of thing, a, a national, this is what China's, um, China's given the world. And, and so there's a there's a push in China to push Chinese medicine. So I think that was had something to do with why it made the list. Whether or not that's good or not is here or there, but it just made me doubt the WHO's information. Even though the pandemic was declared in March, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade was telling Australians overseas to stay overseas if it was safe to do so. Of course you'll be able to come home anytime, said the government-run Smart Traveller website. We believe them. So, I mean, originally we, we had gone there January 20th. We arrived back in China from Australia uh, on this particular business trip and we were due to come back to Australia in July. So we usually spend about, you know, five to six months and then come back. So obviously the pandemic hit. Um, March came and we thought, you know, as more information came through, we thought, oh, this is kind of similar to SARS. That started, I'm not sure when that thought kind of came in. It came in eventually and we thought, okay, so SARS was over in a few months. Let's wait it out. And even if we can get back in July, we'll definitely be able to get back by Christmas 2020 never really happened. Fast forward to July 2020, and that was when the Australian government introduced the international flight caps. I mean, how did you feel about that? What was the impact on you? So that was worrying because we were, I was talking with, uh, I had a friend who was a travel agent and I was talking with her and she said, you know, suddenly one, it's very hard to get a flight, uh, extremely difficult and especially out of China. And two, even if you could get a flight, they were really expensive. Like they were, and remember there's three of us coming home and as it is, we paid, I think, what did we end up paying? Probably close to 10,000 Australian dollars for the three of us to get back, just over 10,000. And that's just the flight out of China back into Australia that's not the you know internal flights and everything when, whereas normally it would have cost us because my daughter was so young normally it would have cost us about 3000 so already that's like three or four times the amount that it normally was 
we got back to Australia in early to mid-June 2021, so one and a half years after. So did you have accommodation there? What were you, obviously you weren't expecting to stay for as long as what you did. How were you supported? I consider myself luckier than a lot of others. You know, I hear stories about people that were in the UK, they lost their jobs, so they not only had no accommodation, no income or anything. And I was lucky because I was still working for my company in Australia. So I was still getting uh, my wages, albeit in Australia, but we were financially okay until we actually had to spend money to get back. Uh, in China, we sort of, we were discussing, okay, we've got now change money like send money into China and we were living with my wife's parents so that was okay so accommodation was fine but and also obviously they you know were paying for uh, food and stuff we weren't as badly hit there we were just we were worried about our you know uh, our own expenses and if something had happened but we're I think it was mostly about how do we get home how do we get a flight how much is it going to cost us and um, which I'm sure you'll probably touch on uh, soon is the quarantine issues. We had to catch a train to uh, Shenzhen, which is the next city off uh, next to Hong Kong in, from China. From there, we so when we finally did get a ticket, and we had our tickets cancelled uh, two times, so it was a third time lucky. Um, but unfortunately, um, we didn't get them before that cutoff date, so that was something to do with quarantine payment and everything. But we finally did get on the flight, uh, get a flight confirmed, and it was scary. So. Morrison government had wanted an inquiry into the origins of the virus and this was backed by several other countries. This request had geopolitical implications, particularly around trade, but also affected Australian expats stranded in China at the time. Another thing to add into this element is not only have we got the fear of the COVID, the getting back, how do we get back, how much is it costing us, but the China-Australia relationship was deteriorating and we were, you know, getting bombarded with, you know, um, smart traveller things like, uh, be careful, you could be arbitrarily detained in China, blah, blah, blah. So we were not only worried about the virus, but also what are they going to stop um, stop me at the border or stop us at the border and, and not let us out or something? Which is, in hindsight, it never happened and, and I probably shouldn't have been worried, but I was also watching a lot of media, so it's, which also heightens the, the anxiety. Yeah, so we got on, uh, so we went through Singapore. We went Shenzhen to Singapore, Singapore to Adelaide. Um, and also because Shenzhen had just, as we were leaving, had uh, whole breakouts. So instead of in Singapore, so when we got to Singapore, we were taken to a holding area and we had to stay in that holding area for the however many hours it was while we waited to board our next plane. Did you have to do any PCR testing or were there any vaccination requirements for you to A, get out of China, go through Singapore and into Australia? What was the situation there? Yeah, we had to do, and, and this is also difficult when it's done in China because we had to go to a place that could do it in Chinese and English rather than just Chinese. So we had to get tested before we left our city. We then had to get tested again before we left Shenzhen. So, and it had, I think it was the uh, 24 or 48 hour period before the flight. So you're also worrying about, all right, I've got to time this perfectly by not doing it too early, but early enough that I can get the results before I get to the airport. And that was, that's also, it's a whole lot of nerve wracking things going on. Like it's, you know, if this one thing element falls apart, the whole thing falls apart, the whole plan to get back. And when you're doing it with a family, especially a little girl, it is, it is really nerve-wracking. And you're second-guessing yourself the whole time. 
Peter was lucky in that he came directly into Adelaide, his home, and didn't have to navigate domestic borders if his entry point was another state or territory. Relief was replaced by the reality of Australia's COVID-0 policy and the nightmare and cost of hotel quarantine. We were, it was kind of the bittersweet, you know, we were relieved that we got, we made it back. So that was, you know, the feeling of relief and that soon died down. So we got, you get into the airport and they kind of herd you through the, through everything like sheep, get you onto the buses outside and with very little explanation of what we're going to do now, or what we're going to basically you just told. And some of the people were nicer than others. And, and that's, you know, you, you expect that. But yeah, you basically heard it onto the bus, taken to the hotel, not even knowing which hotel you're going to. And then once we got to the hotel, that's where the nightmare sort of started again. I was a little bit I don't know, upset or angry because I know originally it was you come back in and you self-quarantine. And obviously the minority ruined it for the majority because people were then from home just going out to Woolworths and grabbing their groceries or whatever. That was the reasoning behind why they introduced the, well, that's what they said anyway. Okay, so I had my parents, sister, both lived in separate houses in Glenelg. And my sister could have moved into with my parents for a week, yeah, for two weeks, and I could have stayed in their place. They could have bought groceries. So we were fine if we had been able to self-quarantine. Yeah, it was just another expense. So for us, it was four and a half thousand for the three of us. So, which is a huge expense once you've just paid, you know, almost or just over $10,000. So roughly 15,000 just for the flights into Australia and quarantine right there. And, you know, you can see that the hotel industry was, they were in absolute collapse. They were struggling. So, you know, this is two birds with one stone for the government's point of view. They, okay, we get um, people quarantined and we can, we can help prop up the hotel system. And now we don't even have to pay for it. We get people to pay for it. The other part of it is why did, uh, why did, you know, person A or person B get to quarantine in the hotel for free, which is neither here or there because the quarantine, the hotel quarantine was not fit for purpose anyway. Why did I have to pay just because I listened to Scott Morrison say, stay where you are if you're safe to do so. Um, and so I listened and then I get penalised for that. At no point was there any indication that there was a time limit on this. And in fact, the government announcement, which was Berejiklian and Morrison, I remember their press conference, they literally announced it one way week before they rolled it out. So we were saying, oh, you've had lots of time to get home. And then one week for people to finalise their affairs. And it was just so difficult to get out of countries anyway. I just went, what are you people thinking? Freedom of information documents revealed that in April 2020, National Cabinet started the Cabinet in Confidence discussions that states and territories wishing to charge people for hotel quarantine could do so. This cost-shifting exercise was on the table for three months before it was introduced in July 2020. We were given one week's notice that the cost of hotel quarantine would be shifted to us. One week to try and exit countries we were stuck in. At the same time, the Australian government's international flight caps were introduced, which made it almost impossible to be able to get home anyway. Well, that's because they, they thought if we advised people too, too early, we're just going to have a mass flood of people. So they did it once again to serve themselves.
let's talk about your experience in hotel quarantine. So one of the millions of things you need to fit in place to be able to get back was to go on the government website and uh, the travel declaration, I think it was called, um, to list how many people coming back, when you're coming back, your flight details, everything. And so obviously that's how they organise the hotel is through the travel declaration. On that, they asked for comments and I put, we have two people that suffer from anxiety, myself and my daughter. So we would appreciate um, either a balcony or an opening window because that is the very least you need for a family, especially two people suffering anxiety. So as I said, on the bus, we didn't know which ho- uh, hotel we were going to. So we get there, still fairly positive. We're still riding on a high from being, you know, we're finally back. A sense of relief, especially because we were coming out of China, which was, you know, the relationship wasn't great at the time. So sense of relief, we made it. We've done, ticked all the boxes, we got it. And we're, you know, two weeks in hotel. Okay, it's not going to be the best, but, you know, we get to relax and whatever. Then we get into the hall and I said, um, just wanted to double check. Do you have um, the room with balcony or opening window for us as we put on our thing and they said um, no all the rooms are standard uh, what you get and they said we've given you a bigger room because you're you're a family I said okay Um, and there's no other rooms that have an opening window um, they said I'm not sure if that one does or not so obviously they didn't want to have to deal with me right there and then we went up to the hotel uh, into the room uh, not only did it have no balcony or no opening window but it had um, listeners may not know Adelaide well but there's basically a side street that goes from Hindley Street uh, to North Terrace and it's two basic buildings we had no view but if we wanted to see what the weather was today we'd have to swash our faces against the window and look up um, we had to have our lights on all day um, to get enough light to function people that have anxiety and especially if you're a family and living with a, a young child going through this you will understand that you you're now in a closed space with with two people that when she has her meltdowns and that triggers another meltdown and there's yelling and worst experience of my life and it just got worse and worse through the two weeks and we asked we continually asked them can you find another room I think the issue is a lot of it was ticking boxes. So we had a police officer and a nurse ring every day to see, are we all okay? Are we still in the room? Are we blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of it is ticking the boxes because I think if they actually listened, if they were properly trained and listened to people, they would find that a lot of people said, yeah, I'm fine, were not actually fine. In the end, when they were ringing, um, you know, half the time I just left it off the hook because I just couldn't, they were ringing at like seven in the morning. And I thought, well, if I'm able to get some sleep, let me sleep. Other times, you know, they say, so how are you feeling today? And, and I've just answered, well, I'm not dead. Is that the answer you want? And that's, you know, how we got through. While the hotel quarantine policy was developed to save the hospitality industry, it caused significant harm to the people who were forced to endure it. As politicians routinely said, once it was politically expedient to do so, hotels were not fit for purpose. Yeah, with no fresh air, we all develop sort of, so you've got no opening window, so the, the air's not circulating, so you have a lot of dust and, and you know, skin particles and, and all of that in the room, so you've developed these kind of coughs and stuff, and you're worried, oh, did I get COVID or whatever, but it's not, it's just the your lungs are full of dust and air particles, so you're constantly coughing and nasal congestion and everything. 
I was constantly saying, um, you know, that even prisoners, even, you know, correction services prisoners get time out in the yard, get fresh air each day. And we didn't. And, you know, realistically, you may have been better off being charged with abusing staff and then taken to prison because you would have got some fresh air and, you know, better conditions, I think. You literally were stuck. You were at the mercy of the government, unfortunately. And it wasn't a particularly compassionate government. It was difficult. I mean, we're lucky. uh, My wife and I have a relationship where you know when she's when she's down I'm up when she when I'm down she's up so it, as much as there was a lot of back and forth screaming yelling between the three of us there was overall we got through it okay And the other thing too is we still had to work. This wasn't a paid vacation. I was working and I needed to continue to work because, you know, we ended up just getting back, leaving China and then, um, you know, getting everything ready and back into society here cost us uh, about $25,000. So I couldn't just sort of say, no, I'm going to have a holiday while I'm in uh, hotel quarantine. So I was working every other day and my wife was working, you know, in between those days. So we were sort of taking it in turns to spend the day with with my daughter. Um, And we were sort of trying to do some form of exercise routine just to break out the monotony, not just having sort of sitting around or whatever. So it's, you know, like you had touched on before, the the meals were not great. Um, some, you know, not uh, overly cooked and stuff. So there is, you know, there was some hygiene and because of the some of the food, we had some gastro and, and, and things like that. So it was just that broke up the monotony in his world, didn't that? So, you know, oh, today's a sick day. The impact of what the Australian government and the state and territory leaders did to stranded Australians and to permanent residents, with the support of the mainstream media and general public, cannot be overstated. Essentially, we were left for dead. Even worse in the long term is that it's made people lose faith in the government and who and what the government does for us. I mean, I know people have always had varied degrees of trust that they have in the government. You know, no government's perfect, and, and that, but I think before COVID happened, you always thought, okay, overall, you know, on the whole, the Australian government does the right thing by its people, and that's what you'd like to think anyway. And there's varying degrees of that, but I think nowadays, after COVID happened, I think a lot of people don't see that anymore, and you look at people that were stuck overseas not travelers people that were just overseas at the wrong time got stuck there they were just they were like you said left left for dead and i think that has really misplaced our trust that we had that the government will always look after us at the end of the day and we just know that not to be true anymore i'm sure some listeners will obviously um, you know, have their own understanding of these kind of uh, situations or events or, or disorders or whatever. But I think in terms of my personal experience, it has given me a sort of a PTSD. So uh, like a post-traumatic stress disorder in terms of like, even when I walk down or I drive down North Terrace and I see the Stanford and I just, I, I still, I get shivers on my on my spine. And when I talk about it, you know, I get angry. I have this feeling of anger swell up in me every time someone asks you know whether it be interview whether people just you just meet and they say oh so you were stuck in uh, overseas when this happened so blah 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 what what happened and and you as soon as you start talking about this anger just swells up in you because victimized
criticised and you feel hard done by. And and I you know I still get people, even friends or, or relatives, that just say, well, um, you know, holding on to the anger is not good. You you need to let it go. But I can't let it go because my government hasn't said, or the government that I trusted hasn't said sorry or hasn't tried to make this better. They did this to me. We came back. We got out of that country. We came back. Like I've said many times, because if you if you look at any social media, you you'll see that the whole oh they should have come back earlier. The travellers should have come back earlier or whatever. But no, we we left Australia before COVID even happened and we got stuck overseas and we got left for dead. And, and that is not something that I can just let go of because, you know, because someone said, oh, you feel better if you do let it go. You can't because it's every day you get reminded of it and, and not in a good way. Once we did manage to get home, we were gaslighted and told what happened to us wasn't that bad. And if it was, at least we were back now. Our experiences were minimised and many of us found that the medical professionals we usually go to for help and support weren't empathetic. And, and I, I think you're correct to that whole minimisation from people you you trust, like your, your GP, you should be able to trust your GP. And and I think I'm in the, exactly the same boat as you. I haven't gone to see anyone because everyone that I've talked to that hasn't gone through this just says, oh, it's, you know, just suck it up, let go of the anger or, you know, there's um, nothing you can do or whatever. But it, it just, yeah, from the people closest to you or the people you, you thought you could trust, there was no sympathy, there was no empathy, there was no understanding. And so you just thought, well, and obviously... Even if I go and see a psychologist or whatever or a counsellor, they're probably going to see the same thing. So why even bother? How's your daughter and your wife doing? Good, I, I think. I mean, my daughter has, um, she has snaps of it, like she'll, um, or snapshots, like she'll, you know, every now and again sort of, oh, Daddy, you remember that time we were in uh, hotel quarantine and you yelled at me, you know, that kind of thing, which is just heartbreaking because that's not who I wanted to be as, as her father or and that's not how I want to be remembered. So she remembers things. She was probably young. She's six now. So she was probably four or five at the time. But she, you know, so she does remember some things things and that's uh, that's heartbreaking probably at least she's too young for it to have physically affected her that much like long term my wife um she doesn't talk about it as much we sort of don't because when i talk about it i get angry I don't think it's a conscious decision I've made, but I don't think I've been into a hotel since uh, doing hotel quarantine. I've done two trips out of Adelaide and both times I've done, you know, um, Airbnb, so I've stayed in the house, but I have not been back into a hotel since. Being in China, we have the you know the Great Firewall of China. So I was using a VPN to get onto things like Facebook and um, and media sites just because I wanted to be kept up to date. A lot of the time, it's sort of I had to go through Facebook and you see the comments, and it was it was major angry because you can see they're just not understanding. And I I understand because probably I don't know is it 10, 12 years ago now there was a sort of a, a quick outbreak of Ebola virus, and they were looking at shutting off Australia or something, or they were capping flights or. They they did it very it was a very minimal thing in, in relation to what happened for COVID. And and I kind of remembering at the time, I was trying to put myself in the shoes then. What was I thinking? Was I was I thinking, oh, don't let them back in? Or what, you know, I was trying to think. And I even then I was thinking, well, no, these these are Australian people that are trying to get home. 
assist them to get home, help them if you know if they come into contact or whatever. But just the, the comments you you read, the lack of even trying to understand the whole, you know, they should have come home earlier, like we left in the middle of COVID, and and some people did, but it wasn't because oh, um, it's the middle of COVID, but I'm going to go on and have a surfing holiday or something. It was you know my parents are dying, so I have to go go over and and see them or or help them with their estate or you know get rid of their items or whatever. It was not people that were wanting to travel. So everyone that was trying to get back to Australia was someone that for some reason or another was stuck overseas. And I, and I remember sort of listening to that or seeing that, uh, and, and I didn't hate the celebrities because they were just doing what they were told to do. And and I was actually glad for them because the quarantine, hotel quarantine was awful, but I was definitely upset that, you know, how why do they get to, you know, did I not earn enough millions of dollars that gets me to buy my way through quarantine or something? So it was a whole lot of it, the, the unfairness of it and the way it was done was just just made us angry. Peter has some parting words for the Australian public and government, and it's an appeal for empathy and understanding. Firstly, in terms of people that suffered through this, uh, people that were trying to get back and, and got through quarantine, uh, if, if there's someone that listening here, even just one person that originally thought, yep, they should have stayed over or, or not come back, try and understand. You know, these, we were in different times. We were not, it's not like we were looking back. We had the, you know, the value of hindsight. We were not aware of what was going on. We thought we could die during the travels because of this unknown disease. And we were making decisions decisions based on information we had at the time with family members with young children or whatever so I think one message would be please understand us put yourself in our shoes uh, that's one and I think for the Australian government your hotel quarantine was not fit for purpose even asking us to pay for something that was more fit for purpose you had by the time I got back you had one and a half years to get something sorted and, and they did it in Northern Territory and they kept talking about doing it in Adelaide you know in a further away place where you could have your daily walks in the in an area that should have been done a lot earlier the the hotel quarantine was not fit for purpose and it was worse than any prison sentence that you could have given anyone The Never Forget What They Did podcast tells our stories because what was done to us should never be forgotten. Music by Les FM on Pixabay. Our stories are released every week on a Sunday. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on dianelee.com.au forward slash never forget.